Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Afternoon Tune. I am your host, Josh, and with me, I have a special guest with me today who I'm doing an interview with, Lamard Sherame. Uh, How's it going there? It's going good. It's going good. How are you? Ah, very good. Hey, guys, you got your alarm set for the interview. That's pretty good, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, make sure you're One not late. Time. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty nice. Uh, thank you for joining me. He's a creator. Oh, I'm sorry. They are a creator because uh, you do have non-binary in your bio there on Twitter, so you go by they, them pronoun. Mm-hmm. All right. Make sure to uh, keep that in mind, uh, especially in the comments below. If you all do comment, uh, just make sure to keep that in mind. So, yeah, um, they are the creator of a series called Captain Zero. Uh, mm-hmm. Lamar, let everybody know about this series, uh, the premise, uh, kind of how you came, came up with the idea, everything like that. Oh, man, you went way, way back in the day with the <laughs> with the proof of concept. I think this is the one that we did in uh, 2021. Um, so your question is, how did I go about making the series? Yeah, just like, um, you know, tell us just the basic information of the series, the main characters, what the series is about, kind of how you. you got into making it. Yeah. Gotcha. So the basic premise of Captain Zero. So Captain Zero is a 2D action drama. It's about Xerxes Hughes. Um, it's a show about a black teenage superhero who basically he starts experiencing these random blackouts. And through therapy, he's essentially trying to retrace his steps and figure out what the cause of these blackouts are. So every episode is framed through his therapy sessions as we kind of uncover and learn the reasons why Xerxes is experiencing these blackouts. And um, ultimately, you know, one of the real central messages of the show is one to really normalize therapy within the black community, but also specifically to get people more comfortable with talking about mental health as it relates to, you know, I mean, just everyone's just overall general health, you know, I remember when I was first diagnosed with major depressive disorder, when I was 17, there was like literally nobody in my immediate circle that even knew where to begin the conversation surrounding my mental health. Like it just wasn't a thing. You know, I know in most black cultures and households, when it comes to things like that, it's like, oh, you know, just pray it away and everything will be fine. And that's all well and good. But, you know, even if you're a religious person, even the Bible says, you know, faith without works is dead. So really what I wanted to do is I wanted to create a compelling narrative that would give people not only a window into the mind of someone that is dealing with these kinds of things, but also hopefully to be able to give people some of the tools so they would be able to properly respond if they see these things in others or they find out that they're dealing with these things within themselves. Very nice. Um, and then I've seen some of your videos um, there on your page. And this is, let me uh, make sure to share it here. So this is Cutting Edge Animation. Mm-hmm. It's my production company, yes production company and you're a man of multi uh multiple talents here uh mm-hmm. the filmmaker creator here of this animated series mm-hmm. um so very much a person of multiple talents um and you do talk a lot about in your work of you know uh, how much it relates to mental health uh, mm-hmm. how much important factor that is um you know uh, it was one of your videos where you uh, discussed how you kind of very much similar how you said here, how you kind of came up with the story and how, you know, the inspirations that kind of led behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, is it something you want to delve into too deeply? You said you did, you know, kind of struggle with a little bit of mental health uh, issues. There. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, um, you know, when I was um, when I was 17 years old, man, I, I think that time for most people is a very tumultuous time. Like uh, for me, 
because of like where I was. Like I was a senior in high school when I was 17. And like shortly after I would end up going to college when I was still 17. Um, and for me, that point in time in my life was very, very hard because I was still struggling with so many aspects of like identity, trying to figure out who I am, you know, at that point in time, trying to, you know, go to college and figure out what it is that I want to do with the rest of my life. Who was I becoming and what direction I wanted to go? Um, and there were so many, oh my goodness, so many like external factors that I was dealing with and also lots of things that I didn't realize that I was dealing with when it came to uh, self-esteem, self-confidence, you know, things that I was really, really struggling with at the time. And it led me down a really, really dark path of depression. Um, and I ended up going to college like a year later, about three months into being in college, I had like a super, super bad depressive episode. It was really, really bad. And I remember in that moment in time thinking to myself like, well, I pretty much have one or two options here. I can either, you know, go into my bathroom where I know there are razor blades and I could try to commit an act of self-harm or I could try to figure out and try to process what it is that I'm feeling. So I turned to the one thing that I've always turned to in life and that was art. So I literally went to my living room. It was like a stack of printer paper there and I took a piece of printer paper and I literally just started writing down everything that it was, everything I was feeling, everything that I wanted to express. Um, and then I also started like drawing alongside of it. And then like right there that night, I had drawn like the very first drawing of Captain Zero. And funny enough, originally, Captain Zero was only supposed to be about my senior year of high school, finding out I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and then how I was trying to navigate that, figure that out. Um, but then over the course of the next couple of hours, I was like, yeah, no, you know, I think I want to imbue more aspects of things that I really love in there, like, you know, superheroes and animation. And then, yeah, shortly after I had completely conceptualized the, the base concept of Captain Zero. And then since then, it's just been a journey to trying to get that story on screen. Yeah. And then on the Cut It Edge animation YouTube channel, you can see it shows the process of you drawing here, drawing uh, Arizona Phillips here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's very cool that you're showing a lot of the, you know, all your animation here, the, the process here. Uh, that, how long does it take you to usually draw out a character, color it, everything like that? Uh, on average, usually a couple of hours. If I'm like laser focused in what I'm doing, it'll probably take me about four, maybe five hours to complete like a, a full drawing. Okay. Um, where else do you see kind of uh, major kind of uh, what mental health kind of intersects with a lot of the superhero medium? Uh, are there any kind of examples that you see there, like maybe something like the Incredible Hulk there would be maybe a, a good example of that, or maybe something I, like Wolverine? Mm. Like, uh, where, where, where do you see kind of the mental health kind of intersecting with the superhero medium in a good way, uh, in a positive? You know, you bringing up Hulk, I think, is actually really, really great. Um, I had a good friend that, you know, they, they loved the Hulk, and that's one of the things that they would always mention and something that they said that they felt like was missing in, like, the Hulk narrative, that they didn't focus too much about, like, his anger from a mental health perspective. Um, but in all honesty, one of the things that made me make Captain Zero was the fact that I didn't and don't really see a lot of expansion of mental health as it relates to being a superhero. I think maybe the closest it comes to is like sometimes in Spider-Man and various different Spider-Man mediums, you'll see how Peter is struggling trying to keep the duality of his lives. But even that never really slips too much into like the mental health territory. Like it kind of treads very lightly on that area. You can see obviously there's things that are weighing on his mind and then there are people that he goes to, but you never see 
Peter Parker in therapy. You never see him trying to like process any of those things or how they affect him on a day-to-day level. So in all honesty, one of the main reasons why I chose that specific way to tell this narrative is because it's not something that I'd ever seen depicted before. I'm like, I don't really see superheroes really extrapolating what it is that they're going through, how it's affecting them, how they're taking in all of that stuff in therapy. So yeah, that's that's one of the reasons I made Captain Zero. Yeah. I think I can only name like a yeah, a few examples of it ever happening, uh, to bring up the Hulk. Um, I do remember a little bit of the Ang Lee. Did you ever see the Ang Lee Hulk? Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And I know like in the Ang Lee Hulk, uh, they did try to tie a little bit of, you know, his mm-hmm. childhood trauma, you know. Yeah. Uh, Nick Nolte was his father, which I guess, hey, if Nick Nolte was your father, that, that'd get anybody childhood trauma. I guess. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they try to kind of tie that into also his his anger there. And mm-hmm. I thought that that was pretty good. Uh, that that was pretty good that what they did there. Um, yeah. And so sometimes they do bring up, you know, some things sometimes and then bring up Wolverine example. Obviously, he has huge amounts of PTSD and, you know, obviously living so long and having all these lives, dying multiple times, you know, that I mean, he has all this stuff. So, it, it's very good that, you know, you do that um, in your work. And I think that's mm. very important. So, you know, kind of growing up. So where did you where did you grow up? So I'm actually in. Uh, well, I'm in my hometown, <laughs> but I was born in Miami, Florida. Um, I spent most of my adolescence here in my hometown in Port St. Lucie, Florida. It's like a little small, quaint town on the Treasure Coast area. It's a it's a very weird place. It's basically like old people and teenagers. It's like the weirdest like combination like demographic ever. Um, because most people come here because it's like quiet, it's like a suburb. So most people come here to retire. But in the past couple of years, it's really kind of developed into a bustling community. So there's lots of like young people and new families that have moved in. So yeah, now it's like this weird places like old people and teenagers but that's where i spent most of my formative years and then i went to college in orlando florida and that's where i got my um bachelor's and master's degree in film oh nice okay got your bachelor's master's film there um so yeah congratulations to you by the way for that thank you so when you kind of grew up so you always had an interest in art um always you know love drawing things like that you know how did that kind of experienced much, you know, where was it easy for you or hard for you to relate to other kids? You know what I mean? Specifically, maybe did you grow up around mostly black people there or? Well, yeah, like I'm in Miami. I mean, I've always had the fortunate opportunity to always be surrounded by my community. Like I'm Haitian American. I'm first generation Haitian American. So both of my parents are Haitian. So we've always had a very, very strong connection, whether it was like through church or through like the community where I stayed very, very engrossed and in very close proximity with other black people. And the fortunate thing about being, you know, Caribbean is I got to grow up in an experience where I saw black people all across the diaspora. I've seen black people from, you know, as light as logic to like, you know, as dark as Akon. And that was just very, very normal for me to always be surrounded around. Um, but growing up when I was like a kid in elementary school, growing up in like Miami, yeah, no, I was definitely predominantly always surrounded by, you know, Black people, you know, Latinos, Afro-Latinos. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of always within um, my wheelhouse. Um, for the most part, art never really alienated me. Like, it in some ways kind of made me a novelty. Like, I really, really grew an affinity for art because I remember growing up in Miami, my cousins, they were really kind of the one that inspired me because they would they would draw and they were artists and at the time 
we I love Dragon Ball Z. And it was like one of my favorite shows. We would literally like race home after school to watch Dragon Ball Z. And they could draw the characters like exactly the way that they looked on TV. And that like blew my mind. And I was like, oh my God, like how can you guys do that? How did you guys like perfectly recreate these characters? So I wanted to be like them. So I really, really got into drawing and art. And you know, funny enough, I tell people all the time there's this um common misconception that like artists are like born artists, which don't get me wrong. I think you can definitely be inclined to a particular kind of skill, but like really, I think the only thing that separates me from somebody else is most people stop drawing when they're young. You know, they, they, they stop around the ages of like, you know, six, seven, and their art never really progresses past that. But for me, I just kept going. And, you know, I was also encouraged by my family members, by my cousins, and even like my peers and teachers. Like I remember in first grade, like always, anytime we would have to do an assignment that had to do with like drawing uh, and my teachers, they would come by and they would give like everybody like a check to like, if it was good and like an X, if it was bad. And for me, they always gave me a star. And that was different from what everyone else got. And I remember just really, really liking that. Like, oh yeah, I always want to get a star like every time. And uh, you have great works here who uh, he linked me up with you and, you know, we were able to get this interview done. He says, uh, does Captain Zero take place in Florida? Yes, yes. Captain Zero takes place in Florida because um, where else would it take place? I mean, when I think of superheroes and all the weird shit that happens in Neutroy City and just the ability to have powers or people running around shooting lasers out of their eyes, I'm like, that wouldn't happen in New York or California. It would happen in Florida because yeah. that's where all the weird stuff happens. So, yes, Captain Zero takes place in Florida. Yeah. Now that you bring it up, I don't know a lot of Floridian superheroes. That's what I'm saying. You know what I mean? It's they're all in New York mostly for the most part in MCU, and then in DC they have their own made up uh, cities and everything mm -hmm. like that. Bat, uh, Gotham and Metropolis. like New York or like Chicago adjacent or like LA adjacent. But I'm like Florida guys. Like if there were <laughs> mutant oh. people running around, it would be in Florida. Oh, actually, uh, I think in the recent Blue Beetle movie, I think he was in like somewhere kind of like Florida, kind of in the Blue no, Beetle. He's in LA. Oh, that was L.A.? Oh, okay. Well, L.A., yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We need more Floridians to be, like you said. I mean, a lot of crazy yeah. people running around there. You saw that GTA 6 trailer. People, people, people <laughs> oh, yeah, no, very accurate. Very accurate. They did their research. Yeah. Uh, hello, Angie Plays. Angie Plays, he has a question for you here. He says, what kind of powers and obstacles does Captain Zero face? Oh, that's a great question. So Captain Zero has three powers compared to other hyperhumans who only has one. He has super strength, he has heat vision, and he has slight accelerated healing. So not exactly like Wolverine, think more like Spider-Man. Um, in terms of what kind of obstacles that he faced, well, there's two obstacles primarily. There's the external, and that's having to deal with all of the hyperhuman criminals that like pop up that he has to go against as a superhero. And then there is the internal obstacle and that is honestly himself learning to deal with his own personal insecurities learning to deal with his own personal hang-ups and you know again trying to figure out what that root cause of that depressive episode is and why he keeps having those blackouts so those are the two main things that he struggles with especially in season one mm, okay very nice and hello there uh spicy there Glad to see you there new chatter hey, it's uh, Angie Place also says we need more black superheroes. So to go back to you yeah. saying you kind of grew up there, you you know were a big fan of Dragon Ball Z. Uh, what other kind of influences there? I know I saw one of your videos where you mentioned Static Shock was kind of very uh, oh man, so 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 pivotal. Like Static Shock, man, all of Justice League, all of Justice League Unlimited, 
that was super, super pivotal. Like, and again, it wasn't until like I grew up and I saw like Dwayne McDuffie and actually learned like his involvement in those shows and creating those shows and Bruce Tim. Those are definitely real big inspirations of mine. But oh my God, yeah. But particularly Static Shock because again, that was the first time I'd ever seen a black superhero where he was the protagonist. And like, and the sidekick was the white guy. And it was like, it was about him and his life. And you know, and I just love the portrayal because Virgil felt like someone that was like me especially at a time where there was so little representation and you never really saw black kids being kids. He wasn't like thugged out and he wasn't living like this crazy life. Like he was living the life of like your average suburban black teenager. And I'm like, that's me, that's my life. And it was just so amazing. It was so amazing. And I remember when the show ended being like, okay, so like what's next? Like, are they gonna make like another one? Are they gonna reboot it? They're gonna make like a movie and just waiting around and nothing happened, nothing happened. And I was just like, well, damn, I feel like if I just keep waiting around for other people to make this thing, I'm going to be waiting forever. So you know what? Let me go ahead and let me make the thing that I want to see in the world. Mm, yeah. And they did some other things with the character. Um, they eventually, like he was on Young Justice, which is a mm. series that came on many, many years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually kind of pair him up with Black Lightning. I think they usually kind of make Black Lightning his mentor. Uh, it's mm-hmm. like, hey, you two black people with electrical powers, you guys know what it's like, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, team up there. Um, so, you know, when the conversation of representation kind of comes around, you know, having more representation, uh, what, you know, what type of pushback do you usually, you know, see and get? And what's usually your response to that? I mean, I mean, right now, I mean, we're 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 kind of going through a, you know, there has been in the last couple of years a kind of like, Black Renaissance, where we are seeing more Black shows, Black-led narratives kind of get pushed out there. But more recently, we've also seen a lot of like rollbacks, a lot of Black shows and Black-led narratives getting cut, you know, lots of, you know, Black TV shows getting canceled, lots of things not being able to get renewed. So, I mean, in terms of like representation, I mean, I, I think Dwayne McDuffie like clocked it years ago. It's like, how many white superheroes exist? If we had to count, like, guess, like, how many they are. And if you had to count, like, how many Black superheroes exist. I mean, even when I was, you know, running my Kickstarter and I was looking up how many Black superhero television shows have existed. And the number is 14. That's the exact number. And of that 14, only one of them is currently active. And that's Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur. Uh, Ironheart's currently in limbo. Who knows what's going to happen with that? But that is literally, that's it. That's it. So it's like, wow, we are really, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the exact interview where he talks about it. But it's like, yeah, no, like there is, we're not even close. We haven't even scratched the surface when it comes to true authentic representation. The numbers aren't up there. So yeah, uh, to add on to what, you know, that one commenter said in the beginning, we need more. We need more Black superheroes. We need more representation in the space. And Something else that's very important to me in Captain Zero is showing a multitude of the Black experience. Like, you know, Xerxes, like myself, because he's based off of myself, you know, is Haitian American. He's dark skinned, but that's a very specific live life experience being the child of immigrants. Then you have, you know, his best friend, crime fighting partner, Daisy, who's polyethnic. You know, her father is Black, her mother is white, but she's always grown up and lived predominantly with Black people. She feels very comfortable in her Blackness and her Black identity. You have Oblivion, who is a dark-skinned Black trans woman. And that is a very specific live life experience. But all of these experiences are all the Black experience. And there are so many people, whether in our community or even just like 
globally that don't that still see blackness as monolithic, as very one size fits all. So I wanted to create a show and have characters in it that show the various different kinds of experiences that exist within the black experience and to kind of pull all these things together. So yeah, no, when it comes to representation and true diversity, I think we we haven't even really scratched the surface yet. And uh, yeah, rest in peace to Dwayne McDuffie. He passed away uh, a while ago. Uh, I believe mm -hmm. it was, I want to say, 09. Uh, mm -hmm. Was that when he passed away there? Uh, mm -hmm. Very prolific writer there. 2011, uh, mm -hmm. he passed away. So very prolific writer. Uh, hugely, mm -hmm. you know, inspirational. A lot of his writing, uh, great comic book stories, creator of Static Shock. And then he also said the reason he created Static Shock was a lot of it was he wanted to make kind of a black Spider-Man, you know, a high school kind of kid there. Uh, yeah. which we eventually got with the Miles Morales character there. Um, how important do you think uh, you know characters like Miles Morales are and maybe other people like Kamala Khan, even though she isn't Black, but another uh, minority-type character here? Mm. Um, and where do you kind of see, do you see like kind of representations gotten better here as far as a lot of minority characters? And what's your kind of position on you know, minority characters taking over legacy characters here, become like taking over the mantle. What's your thing? I know I asked a lot of multiple questions. No, it's all good. Um, no, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I personally think it's a great thing. I think we should have both. We should have characters that take over legacy characters and we should have new original characters as well. Because, you know, I think there, there's always that, that common pushback of whenever there's like a minority character that takes over a legacy character, people being like, oh, well, why don't you just make your own characters, make your own characters? And those same people never go out and try to find independent creators or people that are making new original ideas or concepts and support them. Again, it's just another reaction as to why they're saying we don't want to support black people. It's like, just, just, just say you don't like black people. Like, just, just say that instead of like pump faking like it's about something else. Um, so yeah, I never, I never understood whenever people made that argument. Again, I think we can have both. I think we can have uh, black characters or other minority characters that take over legacy characters, and we can have new original characters as well. Um, in terms of the push for those kinds of characters, again, I, I think it's great. I don't think we've even again really begin to scratch the surface. And something that I really want to push for in in my creative work is again, I want to make sure that when we are telling these stories, that they are also coming from people and being made by people that actually look like us and are from these backgrounds and experiences. Because as much as I love Miles as a character, love his movies, love the comics, love everything about like his character, like even when I watch the Across the Spider-Verse films, there is a very clear understanding that, I mean, I, I know they had um, one black director on both, on both films, but when it comes to the writing of Miles, I mean, I think in the Across the Spider-Verse, they did, a really great job of inserting themes of otherness that kind of allude to Miles's blackness. But again, we're st it's still kind of like we're alluding to it. We're kind of beating around the bush. We're not really being specific. Like something that, this is very innocuous, but something that like to me is a very telltale sign of the fact that I know that as great as representation as Miles can be, it's not all the way authentic representation because there will never be a media representation of Miles where Miles says nigga, like, cause he can't. <laughs> because in the box and bubble that he exists in, that's just not considered safe. But the reality is it's like, but he's a black teenager from New York. You don't think that that would be a part of the way that he talks? Not to say that he would use it all the time, but 
never at all. And it's just little things like that that show like there's a certain level of like cultural understanding that is devoid there. Like I think of shows like The Boondocks when I think of how do we go about actually achieving authentic black representation the way that you see Huey Riley granddad you know interact and talk with one another when I see shows like that when I see shows like Atlanta I'm like I know I can tell that these were shows created and formed by and written by black people so something that I want to create inside Captain Zero is that exact same thing that exact authenticity like you can tell you know that this was written and created by a black person because of the things that we show what we talk about and how we talk about it yeah. So um, you mentioned there was one uh, black director on Across the Spider-Verse, Kemp Powers, uh, who also mm. did, uh, he was the writer on One Night in Miami, which you've never seen, if you've never seen One Night in Miami, fantastic movie, by the way. Mm. Uh, it's about when uh, Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali. Didn't, uh, isn't, didn't Regina King direct that? Yes, Regina King did direct that. Yep. Mm. Um, fantastic movie, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I've seen it. I've seen it. Um, and also he was the writer of the Pixar movie Soul as well. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And he did a great job, I think, along with the other directors of Across the Spider-Verse. Um, and you kind of bring up this point of a Black character and, and kind of, uh, I know there's always like a lot of discourse around, ma mainly on Twitter, of like, you know, uh, Black properties that feel like they're made for, you know, white audiences. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people bring that up. Uh, do you know Kenyon Barris? Do you know his work? Yes. Um, you know, a lot of people bring up his shows like Blackish or Grownish. They feel like this is this is Black you know, experience made for kind of watered down for white people. Uh -huh. um, do, do you do you feel that way? A lot of media, kind of a lot of shows that are supposedly written by black people. Uh, and also, uh, what's that creator's name? Uh, she was on Master of None. Lena uh, Waithe. Yeah, people bring up that with Lena Waithe, where she did that movie with Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, um, what was that? Yeah, movie Queen called? Slim. Queen and Slim. So, do you do you feel that way sometimes? In a lot of uh, with some black creators there. Man, I mean, not to go in too much on these Black creators, because something that I also know from a filmmaking perspective is, one, first and foremost, it's very, very hard to get your Black ideas and your Black stories into the hands of these major studios. And the unfortunate kind of give and take of when you actually finally do get your foot in the door is you're asked to make a lot of compromises. So if I were to be generous and shoot a lot of these Black creators some bail, I would acknowledge the, the reality of that there is also a very good chance that they could have been very well intended to make stories that were more authentic and it got watered down in the process. So that's something that I would also like to specifically acknowledge. Um, because again, I mean, I know that that's something that is just a, a common industry practice. I mean, no matter what kind of director or creator you are, every major studio has their S&Ps, they have you know, their standards and practices. They wanna make sure that the films and the narratives that they're telling fit their specific company brand. And with that, you know, you can't get too radical. You can't get too edgy. So I know that they put a lot of barriers and guidelines and parameters as to what can and can't be done. And with that, you know, comes the uh, dilution of messages, of themes, of concepts. So I, I would say that, I mean, it is unfortunate when it happens. It is unfortunate when we engage in a piece of media that is intended for black people and we see like, oh man, like this isn't, this isn't that. This doesn't feel like it's speaking specifically to me or I feel like these messages or themes are like watered down. I feel like you're not going as, as hard as you possibly could. And I mean, I think though, there is a way to find a happy medium. I think there is a way to imbue those themes and messages while following those guidelines, while still making it, you know, palpable and very powerful. I think Ryan Coogler is a great example of someone who's able to do that. He did it with both 
Black Panther films of being able to have real deep conversations surrounding blackness and culture and identity while still kind of following the guidelines of being like, okay, we know you can't go too far. We know you can't, you know, necessarily say this or do that. But I think he's a really great example of how you kind of bridge that gap and are still able to, you know, get a lot of those themes and messages out there. Like, you know, one of my favorite things to talk about, you know, to people, you know, to like my non-black friends, when I talk about Black Panthers, I'm like, if you're a non-black person that has watched Black Panther, like you, you, you really only got like half of the movie because there's so many things that are in there that are like subliminal nods that unless you are of the community, you probably don't even get it. You probably didn't even connect with it. Like the fact that the last act takes place in an underground railroad, um, you know, the conversations that they're having about the diaspora and identity and belonging and who truly is a part of what culture and identity, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, when T'Challa dies, how, his mother wasn't able to mourn him because she didn't have his body and how that speaks to, you know, the loss that so many black mothers in America have had to deal with when losing their children. Like there's so many, so much rich subtext in there. That's like, unless you understand this experience, you won't get it, but he was still able to put those messages in there while still, you know, following the guidelines of a major corporate studio. So I definitely think it's possible. And it's sad when that doesn't happen which is why you know I want to as much as I can. And this is one of the reasons why, again, with making this part two and making this short film, why it was really, really important to do it independently because I was like, I really, really more than anything wanna make sure that my message and those themes get out 100%. I don't want it to be watered down or diluted. I'm going to finance it, I'm going to fund it, and I'm going to tell the exact story I want to tell and then present that finished version. And if anyone is interested, then you can have this version, but it's not gonna be a tampered version that anyone got to mess with along the way. This is the version. Yeah. Yeah, you bring up uh Black Panther. Um, even though a lot of people, you know, had issues with that, they feel like it didn't go far enough. And you can only do so much, like you said, in this kind of boundary that you're a Disney big corporation type, you know, situation yeah. when you're doing these movies of how far you can go. Um, there was a great uh YouTuber, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of FD Signifier. Oh, I love him, yeah. Uh, he did a great video about Black Panther. Anybody want to mm -hmm. check that out? And then with Across the Spider-Verse, um, you said they kind of alluded to a lot of things about the blackness, the otherness of Miles Morales. And they kind of mm -hmm. uh, brought up the fact, I remember seeing in an interview with the directors, they said that Miguel O'Hara was a representation of a lot of people who said that, you know, Miles Morales isn't Spider-Man and he'll never mm -hmm. be Spider-Man. Um, so, you know, you kind of see that with uh, a lot of stuff. So um, the popularity with a lot of kind of characters, Miles Morales is obviously, he's blowing up, uh, becoming really huge right now. Um, and you bring up, you know, your history with a lot of characters like Static Shock kind of brought you, you know, into that scene, your first black superhero. I think that was for me as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Static Shock as well. And also John Stewart, Green Lantern. Um, mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you bring up Justice League there. And, I, and when I remember when the Justice League movie, I mean, the Green Lantern movie came out uh, back in what, 2010, 2011 with Ronald Reynolds as Hal Jordan. Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people go, wait, he's white? You know, yeah, I mean? I, uh, same because <laughs> my connection was with John Stewart. So I was like, Hold up, who is this guy? Yeah. Um, so you know, there were a lot of people who could, like get yeah, kind of thrown off by that a little bit. There were some people there, um, there, but uh yeah, um, you kind of see that. Um, Anjan plays, he said uh, for him the first black superhero uh he got exposed to is spawn. Spawn, spawn was a big one, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Uh and then hello there, Lemmy Winks. Glad to for you to stop by. Very much appreciated there, man. Um, yeah, and then Angie plays also says, uh, I love Static Shock Show because it brought diversity, you had a lot of diversity there, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's something that was so great about the show, and again, it did in a way that was so like 
natural and authentic. Like it was literally just showing you his community. It was showing you that the, the, the people exist, you know? Like it's so, it's so weird when you see shows where they like depict the world as if like people live in a bubble, like Friends, where you have like, you know, people living in New York and it's like, it's all white people. There's like not a minority to be seen. And it's like, that's not New York. That's not what New York looks like or feels like at all. So no, that was an amazing, amazing thing that Static Shock did to just like authentically represent people. Yeah. yeah. Who inspires you right now, currently? Who's working right now? Oh, man. So many people. Um, Miyazaki, obviously. Uh, Ava DuVernay. Um, man, Jordan Peele. Uh, still Bruce Tim. Um, my God, Nina DaCosta. Uh, ooh, that's a lot. <laughs> um I want to say those are like my top. Those are the ones that I'm like always thinking of or always kind of keeping in mind when I'm creating or crafting stories or people that I would love to meet or bump into or be in the same place as someday. Or like if I were to hear commentary from them about what they thought about any of my bodies of work, like that would be life changing for me. So, yeah, those that group right there. Yeah. And I know you did get a little bit of attention. I saw that you kind of got. Uh, shouted out uh, by uh, Olive there. Um, is that how you pronounce her name? Uh, you talking about Oleemi? Uh, Oleemi, yes. You got shout out by her about your uh, concept art uh, for this character right here. Uh, and she really loved, I'm going to show it right here. She really loved the design of this character. Oh, for Oblivion. Yes. Oblivion. Oh, man. I love Oblivion so much. <laughs> Oblivion. Tell, mm -hmm. tell us about this character. Oh man, Oblivion is literally one of my favorite characters. I, I cannot wait for people to meet her. People are going to get their first real formal introduction uh, to Oblivion um, in this part two. And, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, they're going to get their first formal introduction to Oblivion in this part two. Um, and man, I don't want to spoil too much about Oblivion, but Oblivion is basically, man, what I just love the most about her, I love just how obviously strong she is, how confident she is. She's just like a total badass in every single sense of the word. Like, I just love how she's just like, huh, man, if you are in between oblivion and something that she wants, like prepare to leave that situation with a few broken ribs. Like I, there's just, man, <laughs> there's, oh man, I gotta suck. I, I can't really tell you too much about this character because she is someone that, oh, that, does go through a pretty dramatic arc in the series. When we first meet Oblivion, she's kind of a villain. She's kind of a bad guy. And then through a series of events, um, we kind of see Oblivion reassess certain kinds of things about how she feels about you know her place in the world and how she can best show up for herself and for her community. But man, I love Oblivion so much. Um, it was so dope that Oleemi, you know, uh, man, I, I saw that she'd made this post about um, her wall, she's got like this because I follow her content all the time. And um, she made this post about like this room in her house where she has like all of this artwork in there. And I was like, it would be such an honor to have a piece of my artwork up there. Um, and then to my surprise, you know, she responded back and she's like, yeah, I would love to have a piece of your art. And I was like, what? Oh my God. So I sent her um, all of the posters that we had done. And I was like, yeah, literally choose anyone and I will ship it to you. I will give it to you for free. Like I just would love the opportunity to have my art hanging on your wall. And she was so nice. She was so kind. She was so gracious. Um, and she chose the Oblivion one. So I sent that one out to her. And yeah, now she has it. And it's hanging in her art room. And yeah, I've been over the moon ever since. 
Oh, very nice. Is that the first time you've been kind of shouted out by a well-known person? Or? Um, man, no, no. <laughs> you know, over the last couple of years, uh, I really started to see a really large uptick in people really, really receiving the project. Like I would say like the first major probably shout out I probably got was like, what well, wasn't necessarily a shout out, but like a nod that I got was like from Ava DuVernay. Ava DuVernay started following me on Twitter. Oh, and nice. then after that, that's uh, uh, shortly after that, I was able to get in contact with them. Um, I was able to talk to like Chris Summer. And then right after that, I was able to talk to Angelica Ross. And then that's how I was able to get Angelica Ross into the project and then eventually get representation. Um, then after that, I was able to get a shout out from Tony Todd. Then more recently, I got and Tony Todd also follows me. And then more recently, I got a shout out from... Um, Damn it, I'm forgetting his name, which is terrible. It's awful. But the actor who plays um, Dwayne Wayne uh, from A Different World. Why oh. is his name escaping me? Yeah. I know you're talking about, though. But yeah. yes, him, him. I'm so sorry <laughs> if yeah. he's watching. Kadeem uh, ha uh, Harrison. Harrison. Yes, yes, yes. So able to get a shout out from him. So, yeah, no, um, this is becoming like a, a thing, you know, it, it, like a snowball effect. People are really, really taking to the show. Yeah, so you're representing now. How's that uh, changed things for you now that you're represented by an agent? Oh man, no, like it's it changed everything in a in a very very significant way. I mean, before it was really really great having a strong, you know, assets, having you know the script and you know kind of hand in hand at people. But having an agent again, it just it lends you so much more legitimacy. You know, I don't have to go out and do as much, you know, kind of panhandling or kind of like selling my product out the trunk anymore like having that representation you know creates like a because you realize that a lot of this industry to a certain extent it, is a little gatekeepy but it's it's like a good gate because it's like without that kind of filter there you know there would be no barrier for entry like anybody and everybody could just send scripts or just talk to whoever so there's kind of that barrier for entry but having an agent pretty much lends you legitimacy like if i were to send a random email to the head of netflix like they're not getting back to me but if my agent sends an email to Netflix, like I can have a meeting set up in the following week, you know? So that has helped significantly. I mean, through my agent, that's how I was able to get Keith David attached. Um, that's how we were able to go on the amazing uh, kind of like pitch run that we did earlier this year. And we got to reach out to pretty much every single major platform and talk to them about the show and the project and got a lot of really great responses from them. So yeah, no, having an agent really that was everything that really, really helped push the project and push everything forward. Yeah. And uh, I mean, getting Keith David, I mean, that's a major get Keith David, um, who's been in tons of stuff just recently. I mean, he was just in Jordan Peele's Nope just recently. Um, yeah. I mean, he's been leg legendary actor, been around for a long time. Does my God. Long my career. God. Yeah. No, I, have, I have nothing but just amazing, amazing things to say about this man. When we did our recording session, Ooh, first of all, uh, we, we booked that recording session for like two hours. Like he knocked out all of his lines in like 15 minutes. And all honestly, it was probably shorter than that because we did two takes. We really didn't need them. After the first take, it was good. So honestly, like probably like seven minutes it took for him to like knock out all of his lines. Just amazing, amazing professional. And my God, being in that room with him, I just observed so much, not only about like his particular style and how he likes to go into like his acting, but like how natural and effortless it is for him to like tune into a character and he just spoke so many amazing words of affirmation to me gave me so much like confirmation like he said things to me that I will 
literally carry forever. Like having Keith David, someone I grew up listening to, and Spawn and Gargoyles and all these other great, amazing depictions in media tell me that like, we need people like you. We need stories like this. I was like, ah, oh, you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> but no, it was amazing. It was amazing. Like, I can't wait to meet him in person because our recording session was, you know, similar to this. Um, he was recording in the studio um, and we had an engineer and then, you know, the engineer recorded everything and send me the audio files. But man, I can't wait to meet him in person. The whole cast in person, really. Um, but man, no, like being able to talk to Keith and meet with him and interact with him, like it was, it was amazing. And honestly, again, like a dream come true because I remember when I first conceptualized that series, take it all the way back to when I was, you know, 17 years old, you know, in that little tiny apartment shortly after that depressive episode. At that time, there was only one person I knew for sure I needed, and that was Keith. I didn't have any other actor for any other role in mind, but I was like, for the depression demon, it has to be Keith David. And then fast forward eight years later, and I've got his audio sitting inside my Google Drive, and it's it still blows my mind to this day. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, Dream became realization there. Keith David, especially known for having such iconic uh, voice, someone also like Tony <laughs> Todd does, yeah. Yeah, uh, very, very iconic voice. That's really nice. Um, with your project, you do have a Kickstarter for it mm -hmm. uh, that people can donate to. Um, and I see, let me uh, share this right now because you do have, I mean, you're way past your goal right now. Um, well, yeah, I mean, well, the Kickstarter is the Kickstarter is currently over. That one is over. Okay. We were able to okay. meet, we were able to meet our goal, um, which was really, really amazing. Um, we actually do have plans to do a secondary. Um, Kickstarter. That's still to be determined um, about when that's going to officially come out, but that is something that we do have in the works. But yeah, we were able to uh, launch that first Kickstarter back in like in tail end of uh, October. Um, and again, the initial goal was to raise 35000 That was for all of the animation production costs, and we were able to raise thirty six, which was again, like, amazing. Amazing. Like, I knew that we would be able to hit that goal, but the way in which we did it was still like Oh my God, I can't believe we really did it. So yeah, currently right now, actually starting tomorrow, all of the animators for the project are gonna get paid and then production for animation officially starts January 8th. Very cool. And if people also wanted to support, uh, can they do so doing buying this merch? Get some good merch. Oh here. yes, definitely. So all proceeds towards merchandise goes directly right back into production. So yeah, if you guys want to get some stickers, some jackets, um, some of the posters that we have, some of those are actually going to be coming down pretty soon. All of the ones that say limited edition, those are the ones that we had um, for our Kickstarter. Um, and most of those were exclusive to that, but I wanted to give the opportunity for a couple of people who still wanted to maybe get a pair to have a chance to be able to get some, but that's actually going to be coming down in the next couple of days. But we are going to actually be putting up a couple of new things. Like right now, those are all the, um, posters that we did. Um, there's like, how many of those? Eight of those. We're actually getting ready to drop like another six. Um, so yeah, definitely some new merch coming in the way. And that's honestly, again, one of the other best ways that you guys can support this project is to, yeah. And and again, I feel like it's a cool exchange because you're not just like throwing money into the air. It's like you get cool stuff in exchange for it. Yeah, so you've got some sweatpants here. Mm -hmm. um, I might get a sticker. I might. I think I'll pick up some stickers here after we're done. I might buy some of these. Yeah, it's pretty nice. <laughs> the um, flaming head is my favorite. Yeah, I was just looking at that one. I think that one's my favorite as well. I might, yeah, that you know, one in like the little corner box. Mm, nice. Um, you know, the fact that you are doing a superhero story, where do you see kind of the superhero medium overall? Is it you think that it's 
kind of ran its course for the most part? Do you do you still think it's still got a lot more life in it? I know a lot of people talk about with the fatigue going on with all the Marvel stuff kind of going on. Yeah. Do you kind of ever worry about that? No, not at all. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really believe in superhero fatigue. I don't really think that's a thing. I think what people are tired of is people are tired of formulaic, by the numbers, cookie cutter stories with no real message and no real theme. I think that's what people are tired of. And unfortunately, as of late, superhero films and media have kind of been the worst offenders of that. But I think there's still lots of really great examples of superhero stories that have themes, that have messages that people love and are successful. Again, Wakanda Forever is a testament to that. It's it's one of the main reasons how whenever people talk about Marvel fatigue, they always conveniently leave out Wakanda Forever. And it's for a reason, because it, again, it goes against everything that people are actually tired of. And that's stories that are devoid of messages, devoid of themes, devoid of deeper concepts. And I know for a fact that with Captain Zero, everything that we discuss, whether it's the Black experience, showing the multiplicity of Blackness, mental health and it's important, watching this um, essentially, uh, what, what, what do they call those, coming of age stories with this young Black boy learning to come to terms with not only his mental health diagnosis, but also learning how to persevere and overcome. I think these are all going to be things that really, really make the show stand out. Like I tell people all the time, which is, again, really funny that you asked me about superhero fatigue, is like, technically, I'm really tricking people when it comes to Captain Zero. Like, Captain Zero, to me, is not at all a superhero story. Like, to me, that's the thing that kind of will draw people in and will get people enticed about it, but that is not at all the reason why people will want to continue watching the show or want to see where these characters and these stories go. You're going to want to see it because it's an authentic character drama, learning about this you know young Black boy who's learning to process his trauma. That's going to be the thing that makes people want to continue watching the show, to see this young boy and all these people that are around him deal with the, their environments, their circumstances, and the messages behind them. It's really, more than anything, a super, super character-driven story. And I think that's going to be the thing that people really take away from it. Like The superhero stuff will be like, oh, that's a nice caveat. But again, the, that's not really going to be the stuff that gets people going or going to make people want to go see the next episode. It's going to be about how is Xerxes dealing with this new obstacle that he just came up against on top of the fact that he's also dealing with this literal demon in his ear who's reinforcing all these negative things to himself. How is he dealing with the external and the internal, you know? Very, very interesting. Is there any kind of superhero thing in movies or TV? You mentioned Wakanda Forever um, that you kind of go like, you know, I think that's good, but I can improve upon it in my own story. Or it's like it's it's something that you know people can kind of relate to a little bit um, that they're watching right now. Uh, maybe something like possibly Invincible. Maybe you bring up a lot of you know mm. more deeper kind of character study, more of like the main hero questioning himself. You kind of see a little bit of that with Mark Grayson in the Invincible story that's on Amazon Prime right now, written by uh, Robert Kirkman. Mm. Uh, with, with some superhero things right now that you're reading in comic books or watching on TV or movie wise that you kind of look to and go like that's. That's pretty good. I think that's something I can uh, kind of do in my work and improve upon it greatly. I think there's definitely a lot of really great media like that out right now, especially in the adult animation space. I think Invincible is a really, really great example of that. Um, in all honesty, I mean, my approach is I, I think about that when it comes to everything. Like, I think my specific approach of Captain Zero, again, the thing that makes it unique is its particular vantage point. There has never been a superhero story, story that has been specifically viewed through the lens of therapy sessions, 
that is through the lens through the lens of like a young black teen in therapy learning to process these kinds of uh, these, these kinds of traumas that he's dealing with and all of the various kinds of storylines that are you know interjected inside that so yeah no i think there is i think again invincible is like a really great example of something that is in the vein of something that i'd like to do but definitely with Captain Zero, I want to push it further. And again, specifically talk to how these things affect, you know, a black person. Like something that you would see in regular superhero media, right? Like if a superhero is not well liked by the public, like Spider-Man, for example, and J. Jonah Jameson, who's like always shit talking him. Like for the most part, it's just like J. Jonah Jameson shit talking him, and nobody really in the city like gives into the stuff that J. Jonah Jameson's saying. Like they know he's just kind of like you know spouting off at the mouth. But like if that was a black superhero, it would probably be different. If there was like some very famous news broadcaster saying all these terrible things about them, there would be a higher chance that most people would probably believe it and probably be antagonistic and maybe even racist towards like that hero. And they would have to deal with those kinds of things, but you never see those kinds of things depicted in traditional superhero media. Like there's not a single episode of the Justice League where you ever see Jon Stewart being heckled or belittled by audiences who are fans of the Justice League simply just because Jon Stewart is black. And they're like, mm -hmm. we don't want to see a black hero on the team. You've never seen that. Um, I remember there was a joke that somebody made one time, I think it was on Twitter, where somebody said that if, you know, Miles Morales, you know, in a live action movie, like, who would be his J.K. Simmons? And people said Jason Whitlock or Stephen A. Smith, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? That would kind of be his hater there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I remember in the show uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, they touched mm -hmm. on that a little bit about mm -hmm. the fact that Anthony just, Mack is... Yeah, just, just a little, you see? That, that's what I mean. Like, it's just like every time we see them kind of go for it they just kind of like lightly just like graze around it or, or go around it but for me it's like i want to be direct i want to be specific like there's no hiding it i'm not mincing my words i'm telling you straight up exactly what it is like i think even for like x-men's a really great example about how like x-men and mutants are an allegory for prejudice but see like in captain zero hyperhumans like we've completely separated the idea that like, oh, this is an allegory for prejudice. It's like, no, we're straight up showing you that this is like racial discrimination. Like 90% of hyperhumans are black and people of color. So when you see them making anti-hyperhuman statements, anti-hyperhuman laws, you see mass incarceration happening with hyperhumans because they are perceived to be more violent or evil than your average civilian. It's like, I'm not mincing my words about who I'm saying is specifically being affected by these kinds of things. You can see it. You know, mm. and do you think you know not being direct enough? Do you think that leads to a lot of maybe media illiteracy there? People not understanding the point of some things they're watching. I mean, it seems like with shows like The Boys, it seems mm. like it's pretty direct. It seems like it's mm. pretty obvious about who it's talking about, but even people still kind of seem like they miss the point of that. Um, do you think it's? I mean, what, what do you think leads to that? There are a lot of media illiteracy there that kind of goes. Mm, that's a really great question. Um, man, uh, I mean, 53% of the people in the U.S. can't read above a sixth grade level. So, <laughs> I mean, there's there's that. I mean, in terms of like media literacy, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I don't even know if I really have a specific answer as to what makes people so media illiterate. I mean, most people just don't have a firm understanding of story, concepts, execution, 
certain story beats progressive things like that like i like i think that's just something that the average person unless you're really really tapped into film and television of taking the time to learn various kinds of tropes or various kinds of like story arcs that most people are just kind of unfamiliar with um but i do think to a certain extent of what you were saying that the inability to be more direct confuses more people like i definitely think there are some people that will miss the point of talking about prejudice when you have like for example i mean you know that's a not to crap on the x-men because i love the x-men but i think there are definitely some people that will miss the point of talking about prejudice when you're when you're like when you see a character like cyclops who's like white presenting experiencing prejudice or you know like for example like the hunger games like i've been seeing this like on twitter lately about like how there's that one scene in um i believe like the second hunger games where the capital like blows up a hospital mm. And, you know, you have Katniss and she's like screaming in front of the camera. She's like, look, look at what these people do. Look at all these things. And, and someone was commenting and they were like, look how much when we watch those kinds of films, we are very easily able to see who is the good guy and who's the bad guy in the situation. But literally we're experiencing a genocide right now where the exact same thing is happening <laughs> to people, Palestinians, and people don't get it. Right. And I think a part of that is because it's like you watch things like that and you don't put the actual people that are experiencing those kinds of things on display. Like you made that a white lady who's saying these kinds of things or experiencing these kinds of things. And the reality is it's like, it's not white people that are experiencing these kinds of things. So I do think that to an extent, being more direct about being like, this is who this is happening to. This is who is being affected by this will make more people be like, oh, I see why that's bad. Um, but then again, I mean, there, there are also some people that are just like so dense that are just like, hey, what, what can you do? Yeah. And, you know, X-Men, it is coming back. They're doing X-Men 97. X-Men 97. I'm excited. Follow up to X-Men the uh, animated series here, which is considered one of the greatest animated series ever. Mm -hmm. um, and then even now, I mean, you do have people saying that, you know, if, are they going to make it woke? Uh, this new uh, X-Men uh, series. I'm so dead. That's uh, that's that's. How are you a fan of X-Men and, and even ask that question? Like anybody that even knows how the X-Men was even created and the two warring philosophies that are being presented by both Charles and uh, Xavier. It's like how Charles and uh, Magneto. Yeah. It's like how how do you not get that? How are you not? And again, I, I think that cognitive dissonance comes from people not being able to readily identify who they're actually talking about, you know, but that's hilarious to me. Like, how do you think that X-Men is going to be woke? Like this entire series that's about prejudice and the <laughs> othering of other people. Like you're wondering like, Oh my God, are they going to, are they going to talk about what the show has been about <laughs> What the, what this thing has always been about? Like, that's a ridiculous question. That's, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, you see a lot of crazy takes online. I mean, somebody told me that the civil rights movement wasn't woke, so I don't know. <laughs> you'll you'll hear a lot of crazy takes there uh, on social media there. Um, but yeah, um, you know. So, do you ever think you ever run into issue? Uh, you know, speaking about this kind of thing real quick. Um, do you ever see too much pandering? Do you think that um, there's a lot of that going? Like you mentioned, like being in this corporation, making things for them. You know, mm -hmm. may, maybe you're having this black person as the face of it who's doing this, that it can kind of run into an issue of like pandering to an extent or, 
uh, you know, just kind of doing this thing just to appease, you know what I mean? A lot of your corporate backers there to make it seem like they really care about having, you know, more diversity or more minorities as the leading story. Oh, don't get me wrong. I've definitely seen and experienced, especially when I was going through my, my pitch phone and I was talking to several of these networks and platforms. I definitely, after talking to a couple of these people, definitely came across with a feeling of like, I don't really think y'all care about Black people or Black stories. I think y'all really just kind of want like diversity tokens. Like you really just kind of want to be like, well, hey, look, like we 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 care. Like we talked to a Black person. Did we buy the show? Did we pick it up? Did we spend money? No, but we talked to them. Like, look at us. Like we're we're good people. We're decent people. And it's like, that's, that's not actually helping. Like if you actually, actually care about these kinds of things, open your wallet, like actually show up in meaningful ways to support these black led stories and narratives and, and creatives actually do that. Um, so I think there's, there's definitely pandering on the side of the, on the studios, there's definitely pandering in the side of, the people that are actually in charge and the decision makers and actually and wanting to appear more progressive than they actually are. Um, but I think for most black creatives that are on the other side, it's really, again, just a fight for trying to get our stories out there and trying to do it in the most authentic way possible. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, any last words there about your project, what you kind of got going on in the future? Like, what are you going to be doing? What people can look forward to? Yes. So currently, right now, we are working on part two of Into the Abyss. Again, production for that officially starts January 8th. We are going to be dropping a teaser trailer for that in February. Um, and then the completed short film will be done uh, the very tail end of May. And then we're going to have our debut at the American Black Film Festival. And then after that, we're going to be going on a film festival run for uh, all the way up until November. So definitely, definitely be on the lookout for that. I'm going to try to figure out where I can host and platform the short once it's actually done, because I know one of the stipulations that we have for the various film festivals we're going to be going to is that uh, it can't be public for anywhere to view. So I might have to put it behind like a very cheap paywall just so people can see it. But I do want the general public to be able to see the short. Um, but that's currently what we have in the works. Um, we've got Keith David, Angelica Ross, Zoli Griggs, Cote Galloway, Marion Toro, Jazz Walker, myself. That's all a part of the main cast for that. Um, we're working with a super, super talented group of animators um, to bring this thing to life and to really get something that is as close to the vision that I've always intended for the show and for the series. So I'm super, super excited about that. But yeah, you guys can follow me or Captain Zero at any social media platform. You can just use my name, Lamar Cherami, or you can follow Captain Zero on any platform at Captain Zero TAS. That stands for The Animated Series um, on all social media platforms. And this is your Twitter right here mm -hmm. um, that people can follow. There's just your name. Mm -hmm. um, they just type in and they be all one word there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So future wise, Captain Zero video games, Captain Zero. Captain Zero everything. Trilo trilogy. Captain Zero everything. I mean, currently right now we have five seasons planned, two movies. 100% we have a video game that we want to develop. Um, Captain Zero, I mean, I made an original silhouette for his shoe that we hope to actually partner with a company and actually make that shoe and have that, you know, into production. So Captain Zero shoes, Captain Zero cereal, Captain Zero apparel obviously already exists, but I would love to do more collaborations with other brands. Um, yeah, no, Captain Zero everything. 
Captain Zero everything. <laughs> the things I'm the most excited about, honestly, are like the shoe, the cereal, and the video game. The video game is something that a friend of mine, Andre Enko, he's my writing partner, he's also the vice president of Cutting Edge Animation. Um, he's super, super, super into games, and we're always going back and forth and talking about the various things we want to do with that. That is something I'm super, super excited for. So we've got a lot in store. A lot, a lot. Yeah. Have you ever seen Jingle All the Way before? Jingle All the Way, that sounds very familiar. It was the Christmas movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, I know the movie. I don't think I've ever actually seen it. Oh, okay. I was going to say that there's the little boy in it, Jake Lloyd, who he's got his favorite character is Turbo Man, and you want to have kids decked out and like all that stuff. He's got Turbo Man pajamas, Turbo uh, Man posters, Turbo Man cereal. He watches mm-hmm. the show. That's where we're going eventually. You know, they may have that. Eventually, kids going to be decked out in all the Captain Zero oh, yes. gear, all the stuff. Oh, yes, 100%. Uh, so, um, so it was a pleasure to meet you. Um, yeah, likewise, likewise. And uh, we'll be signing off. Thank you for coming by, man. All right, man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate okay. you. Uh, yeah. Uh, right, I'll go ahead and uh, raid somebody here. And uh, yeah. Uh, I'm glad Gridworks uh, was able to hook me up with you. Uh, great pleasure. I'll definitely be, uh, when you do your next Kickstarter, I'll be donating to you. And oh, I appreciate that, man. Appreciate that. And I'll be picking up a sticker there. Um, yeah, I'll get the flaming head sticker uh, for sure. Um, what you got uh, planned tonight? Whoo! Let's see right what's on the agenda. Uh, I've got a couple of things that I got to draw. Those new posters that I was talking about. I've got to uh, make some progress on two of those. I also have to complete two character sheets that I have to pass off to the animators for tomorrow. Um, I finished all of like the tax information that I needed for my business for the end of this week. And I just sent that off to like my tax lady. So man, just business managerial stuff, really. Oh, okay. Yeah. So busy guy, uh, busy guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I hope you have a great holiday to you, man. Great new year. All right. Likewise. Likewise. I appreciate you so much for having me, man. It's always a pleasure to connect with other black creatives, man. Appreciate you for having me. And again, I mean, if you ever want me back, just just let me know. Uh, sure thing. If you ever want to come on for uh, you or to do your when you do your next Kickstarter and the teaser comes out in February, I'd love to have you back on to discuss that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, All for right. sure. 100%. All right, man. Take care. All right, man. Peace.